Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, I want to introduce you guys to somebody special, and uh, this is Tim Lee, who is... uh, getting up here on stage right now. Tim Lee has been an evangelist sharing the story of Jesus for, gosh, I don't know how long. It was in 1971 that he was in Vietnam. And uh, as you can see, something happened to him. And I'm not going to spoil the story. I will let Tim tell you his story. But uh, at my previous church where I used to serve in Oklahoma, Tim came and spoke at our church and uh, just did a wonderful, wonderful job and uh, really helped impact a lot of people and change a lot of lives. And uh, I have stayed connected with Tim over the last several years. And uh, what a magnificent man of God. I just want to tell you, this guy has my trust, and uh, I believe in what he is doing. He has led literally thousands of people to Christ And uh, right now, one of the most exciting things that he's doing is every year, a couple times a year, right, you get to do this uh, thing with the Marines um, where he gets to to talk to the the guys and and gals coming out of boot camp and uh, being trained, and uh, they get to share the gospel to our Marines. I mean, isn't that amazing? And tons of them respond to Christ. And Tim is going to tell you more about all of those things, but uh, I just want you guys to give Tim a huge Invictus Church welcome. Thank you guys for welcoming Tim Lee. Thank you, buddy. Love you, man. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you. and honor to be here today and Thank you, Pastor, and uh, good to see Pastor Allen and his family, precious, precious people. When God sent uh, Allen and Stacy and these boys to be a part of this church, he sent you some choice people, some great people, and uh, I know you already know that by now, but God has great plans in store for Victor's church, and uh, you're just getting started. You're just a little baby. That's what you are. You're a little baby church. You got a little baby. How old is this baby over here? Almost three weeks. Two weeks? Almost three. Almost a week. That's the way you start them right there, folks. You get them in church. And that is awesome. But you've got a brand new baby. But this is a baby church. And... Uh, and you've uh, got growing pains, and there's lots of things that will happen, and, and, uh, but it's exciting. And you get in on the, on the ground level, you get in at the start of what's happening here, and then uh, in a few, day, a few years when you celebrate your fifth anniversary, and, and then the 10th anniversary, and you've been a part of all that, and you invested in it, and, and you've grown along with it. You're going to look back and say, man alive, that was great. It's like, like raising a little baby and a child and being a part of that uh, child's life. And the same thing, being a part of a new church, a new beginning, is, is awesome. So uh, thank you so much for having me 
here. My wife normally travels with me about 95% uh, of the time, but she doesn't love you as much as I do, and she, <laughs> she, she didn't come on this trip. We've, we've had a pretty hard summer, and uh, so I told her to stay uh, back in Dallas. And uh, so after she heard about my travel day yesterday, she was glad I did. She, uh, she did. She, I, I, I got, to the, got up and got ready to go to the airport. Right before I left the house, I, <coughs> I dropped my iPhone in the commode. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I know there's some things you probably shouldn't tell, but I'm just a transparent person. And, and so, uh, man, that thing worked for a little while, and then it just kept getting worse. And then finally, nothing and then, so then I always get my updates about my flights and everything on my phone. And I got uh, out to the airport, my phone's not working. And then soon I find out my flight has been delayed three and a half hours. And uh, so, uh, so that was exciting. And then, uh, and then uh, I got to, uh, I got on the plane and this guy beside me, he was an older gentleman and, and my kids always ask me, Dad, if he was older, I mean, how old was he if you're? <laughs> and, um, but he didn't have earplugs for his, for his phone and he was watching a movie and he had that thing turned up so loud that I, I couldn't understand what was being said. It was like static. Everybody was looking back. I think they thought I was the one doing it. I'm wanting to, I was wanting to point and say, no, this guy right here. It went on for 45 minutes, and finally the flight attendant told him, said, you have to use the earphones. And he said, I don't have any. And she, she said, well, then you have to turn it all the way down. And he said, well, I can't hear. <laughs> he wasn't getting it, but anyhow, it, it was a headache ride. That's what that was. And I made it in and got to Verizon 15 minutes to closing time. And Aaron took care of me, and I have a phone that works. Isn't that great? I thank God for dedicated people that like, to, like their job. I appreciate it. Con and I have uh, uh, three children. We, we've been married 47 years. We have Brian and Jan and Amber, all three of them love the Lord. They've all three grown up. And they've all three left home. <clears throat> That's a good thing. Amen. <laughs> Somebody said the American dream is to own your own home. I said the American dream is to get your kids out of your home. And <clears throat> some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and then uh, let me tell you a couple things real quickly. I do this in all of our meetings and all of our crusades and events for the last two and a half years. On January 7th of 2017, our oldest granddaughter, Emma Nicole, and I were on a flight from Dallas to Jacksonville, Florida, where when we landed, we were to go get a rental car at Hertz and then drive to Beaufort, South Carolina, where on Sunday, I would do, as Pastor told you a moment ago, I would speak to about uh, 3,000 Marines and Marine recruits at MCRD Paris Island. We've been doing this now since 2013. It's the most amazing thing. Uh, Chaplain Steve Benefield called me. Uh, he, when he was a teenager, he heard me preach in St. Charles, Missouri. He was 17. He was so far out of the will of God. He was running from the Lord. 
He got his life right with God. God called him into ministry, and now he's a chaplain in the Navy. And he called me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming speaking to the recruits at Paris Island. I've spoken at a lot of military bases over the years here at home and overseas, but most of the time it's what I call a gratuitous uh, type of an invitation. They have me come and talk for 10 minutes and then give me an award or a plaque or something. And I'm not totally against that, but the older I get, the less appeal of those things have for me. I just want to see people get saved, see lives change. He promised me that that was not what this was. This was uh, what they call Sunday morning Protestant chapel. We would have an hour and a half to two hours without any restrictions. I said, well, I don't get that kind of liberty in some churches I go to. And, <laughs> and um, so uh, we go uh, on Sunday morning. Actually, we go in on Saturday night. We bring four sound tech men from Jacksonville, Florida. They in this 6,000-seat all-weather building. And we, we rent this uh, sound system. It's a very expensive system. It's a very extensive system. It takes four guys seven to eight hours to set it up. And then, but once it's done, you can go to the farthest part of that building. You can have, hear every single thing that is being said and done. Without it, they wouldn't hear half of what's being said and done. And then Mark Ivey comes from Jacksonville, Florida, Trinity Baptist Church. Mark is one of the great worship leaders of our day. Trinity runs about 2,500 on Sunday morning. Listen to this. They give up their best worship team. They don't bring the backup players, the backup singers. They bring their best four times a year. And they come in, Mark leads in worship and praise songs just like you sang right here this morning. For 45 to 50 minutes, you hear 3,000 Marine recruits singing, God's not dead. It'll put goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. It is the most exciting thing. And then I get up and speak and then give my story, which I'm going to give here in a moment. And then I give a public invitation for people to come to Christ. The last thing God did in this book was give an invitation for people to come to Christ. I'm an evangelist, and that's what I do. I give invitations for people to come to Christ. And um, I know that sometimes we've heard numbers so much that we almost get hardened, and we, we just kind of like water off a duck's back. It doesn't mean anything. But what I'm fixing to tell you is so powerful. We have now done 26 meetings at Paris Island. Remember, we go every 12 to 13 weeks. When we go, we were there in May. We will be there next Sunday, August the 11th. When we're there next Sunday, no one will be there that was there in May. It'll all be a brand new crowd. And next Sunday, we could have, probably have 4,000 up to 4,500. It's in the middle of the summer. They left the high school. Now they're in the middle of boot camp. And we'll have one of our largest numbers of the year next Sunday. And uh, in 26 events that we've done at MCRD Paris Island and now, three events that we've done at MCRD San Diego, only two places you can go to be an enlisted Marine. We have seen over 27,000 Marines and Marine recruits get out of their seats with brokenness and tears and conviction and come and give their hearts to Jesus Christ. It is the most exciting thing. 
When I tell you that all I could do is sit there and cry every time, I, I'm just blown away. I never get tired of it. You never get used to it. It's a concrete painted floor. When they go back to their seats, when they go back to their seats, there'll be a thousand, fifteen hundred that have come forward. There will be tears. There will be puddles of water all over, not just a handful, not just a few, all over that concrete floor where the brokenness and the tears and the conviction of them coming to Christ. We'll be back two more times this year, five more times next year, the way the year's laid out, four more times in 21, four more times in 22, four more times in 23, four more times in 24, already scheduled and on the books. It's a God thing, people. Somebody asked me the other day, said, well, you think God's interested in numbers? I said, well, I guess he is. He wrote a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. So, <laughs> But uh, when Emma... When Emma Nicole and I landed in Jacksonville, January 7, 2017, we turned our phones on. Even before we got to the jet bridge, our phones began to light up. And then we got the tragic news that Emma's two younger sisters had been in a horrible accident. They were on an ATV. Another young lady was driving. They were not on the road. They were not on the shoulder of the road. They were in a field. And um, the guy driving a pickup truck, estimated 70, 75 miles an hour. Several people saw the accident happen. He left the road, he left the shoulder of the road, and he plowed into the back of their ATV. And our 16-year-old Allie was uh, killed instantly. And Sarah Beth, 13 at that time, was seriously injured. They had to be cut out of the vehicle and flown to a hospital in Fort Worth. We call her our miracle girl. Last year, she played a full season of basketball, full season of volleyball. She is a miracle girl. No two ways about it. But I wish all of you could have known Allie. 16 years old, she did more living in 16 years than most people do in 60 years. I know this is Papa talking. I get that. But young people, I want you to listen to me. She was super intelligent. She didn't get that from me. She was so smart. She was beautiful. She was a gorgeous young lady. She was athletic. She was top scorer in nearly every game. She would never tell you that. She would always tell you what the team did. But more important than all that was that she loved God. She didn't just talk about loving God. She really loved Jesus. There were over 1,500 people who came to her funeral. 2,500 came to her visitation. 22,000 watched her homegoing service online. Her mom and dad asked me to give the gospel and give a public invitation. 267 people invited Jesus Christ into their life at her funeral. We don't understand things. I, I've told my kids and my grandkids, we can ask questions. God's not going to get mad if you ask questions. Jesus asked a question on the cross. Why? Why hast thou forsaken me? So there's nothing wrong with asking questions. The problem is if you get bitter and you get angry and you get mad, you turn your back on God, you leave the church. That's the worst thing you can do when a trial comes to your life. I'm so grateful we had church people that loved us and, and loved on us and cared for us and our family. We would have never made it without it. That's why you need to be a part of a local New Testament church. 
just like this church, but a pastor and a staff and a people that will love you and encourage you and bless you and help you. Because it's not a matter of if trials are going to come. It's a matter of when they're coming. Hugh Hefner lives to be 89 years old. He's a pervert. He's founder of Playboy magazine, wicked and vile, godless. My granddaughter loves Jesus. She lives to be 16. It doesn't make sense. You can ask questions. You may not get all your answers right now. But we made up our mind, our whole family did, that we didn't want to get mad at God. And we didn't want to turn our back on God. And we wanted to honor God. You want to read the story? Read, read Allie's story. Go to my daughter's Facebook page, Jana Lee Hooten, H-O-O-T-E-N. Go back to the beginning. You'll need a box of Kleenex. She's written some of the most powerful writings I have ever read. I didn't even know she could write like this. Some of the most amazing writings. And it will bless your heart. I want you to do me a favor right now all over this room. I told you those two things. Number one, to ask you to pray. Pray for our marine events and pray for our family. It's been the hardest season. And um, we still need your prayers. I want all of you right now, if you would, everybody in the room, just draw an imaginary circle around yourself right now. No one to the right no one to the left, just you and me and God. I'm going to ask no one to move. I'm going to ask no one to talk. I'm going to ask no one to disturb anyone. The only reason you will want to get up and go out while I'm speaking is if it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, we get that. But the next 20 to 25 minutes could be the most important moments in someone's life in this room right now. And so instead of disturbing them, be an encouragement. God may want to say something to you. Matter of fact, do that. Ask God to say something to you. Even if you've been in church all your life, ask God right now. Some of you have never done that in your whole life. Come to church and sit down in a seat and on purpose say, God, please say something to me. But if you'll do it right now, he'll speak to your heart. What's your story? What's your testimony? I hold in my hand a book of stories, Old and New Testament, all the way through of great stories of people's lives. It all starts with Adam. Did you men ever stop to think what it would have been like to have been Adam? Adam had a wife and never had a mother-in-law. <laughs> That's a story. But Adam, Adam had a story and Noah had a story and Abraham had a story, Moses had a story, and Joshua had a story, David had a story, and, and, and Jeremiah had a story, and Shadrach had a story, and Jonah had a story, and Stephen, and John, and Paul, and Peter, they all had stories. Matter of fact, there's a whole chapter in the book of Hebrews that we oftentimes refer to as the faith chapter, and in that chapter, there's one man listed after the other because of their faith story. And then did you know that right in the middle of that chapter, there's a woman by the name of Rahab. Do you know what Rahab was? Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a harlot. And yet there comes a day in her life when she too puts her faith and her trust in God. And God thinks so much of her faith that he puts her in the faith chapter. Wow. I'm speaking to someone right now, and you feel like you've blown it. You've messed up. You've shipwrecked. 
And you could, you're thinking, I could never have a story. I can't have a testimony, but I've got good news for you because you're in this building right now and you're breathing air. There is hope for you. My God is a God of a second chance. Sometimes a third chance. Sometimes a fourth, as some of us can testify. And, and you go out to the cemetery and you uh, see the headstones. There's enough information that we know something about the person that is buried in that spot. We know their name, of course. And then maybe there's something about their family. Maybe there's a favorite Bible verse. Maybe there's something about their military career. But then there's always the two dates. There's the date the person was born and there's the date that the person died. But ladies and gentlemen, young people, more important than the two dates, in between the dates is a little dash. And it's what's on your dash that matters the most. Hey, that's your story. What happened from the time that you took your first breath until the moment that you took your last breath? That's your story. That is your testimony. I want you to listen to these words from the book of Revelation chapter 12 in verse number 7. Listen to this. And there was war in heaven. It all started with a war. It's all going to end in a war. In chapter 19, Jesus comes back riding on a white horse. We come back with him. It's the war to end all wars. Satan is defeated for the last and the final time. But this is the first war. This is when the angel Lucifer is, is thrown out of heaven with his uh, with his demons, with his angels, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, and neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which was de which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out of the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now the question is, how would they overcome this accuser? And the better question is for you and I today, how will we overcome the accuser? And the next verse tells you, Two ways. Here it is. Are you ready? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I was raised in a pastor's home. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor for almost 60 years. He lacked a few months being six full decades of pastoring and preaching God's word. My mom, who just recently went to heaven, at the age of 94, she didn't really get old. I know some of you are going to have trouble believing this, but she didn't really get old till she was about 92. And, and, I mean, at 91, she was still mowing her yard with a push mower. I'm not talking about the kind you push the handle down and it takes off. I'm talking about a real push mower. And, and, then, and then she was driving. She called me one day. She said, Tim, I sold my car. I said, Mom, why did you sell your car for she said, well, I'm 91, I've never had a ticket, and I've never had an accident, and I want to go out on top. <laughs> I couldn't say that when I was 17 years old. 
And, uh, but there were five of us kids in this house, and, and making a total of a seven, about a thousand square foot house. We had one bathroom. You imagine seven people on Sunday morning getting ready to go to church. You got one bathroom. And, uh, and, and when you're raised in a preacher's home, do you know what you do? You go to church. You go to church all the time. We went Sunday morning. We went Sunday night. We went revivals. We went all the time to church. I told a group of teenagers the other day, I was on drugs whenever I was nine years old. Mom and dad drug us to church on Sunday morning. They drug us back Sunday night all the time. Well, and, and listen, it was good for us. We, we were taught things at church. We were taught things from the preacher. We were taught things in Sunday school. But we were taught things at home as well. Our mom and dad taught us things. Mom and dad taught us that the Bible was the Word of God. Mom and dad taught us there was only one true and living God, and that's the God of this Bible. They taught us that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They taught us that there's only one way to go to heaven. It's not a Buddhist way. It's not a Hindu way. It's not a Muslim way. It's not even a Baptist way. It's a Jesus way. Jesus said, I am the way the the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We were taught that in our home. Listen to me. There's a lot of young adult parents here this morning. Listen to me, young adult parents. Give your kids something good to remember about their home life because they are going to remember it. They're going to remember the fussing and the cussing, the hell raising, the beer bottles, the dirty magazines, or they're going to remember a mom and dad that loved God and loved Jesus and had time to pray and had time to read the Word of God. Listen to this. This is especially for the young adult parents. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Here it is. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou settest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. What are you talking about? The Word of God. When are you talking about it? When you sit down, when you rise up, when you go by the way. And who are you talking about it to? To your children. Hey, as important it is for your children to be in church and in Sunday school or a small group or an Awana program or even a Christian academy. That's all great. That's all wonderful. But hey, it's not their primary responsibility to teach your children the Word of God. It's your responsibility to teach them the Word of God. And that's the kind of home that I was raised in. Not a perfect home by no stretch of the imagination, but it was a great home. When I was only 10 years of age, the most important thing that would ever happen in my life happened on a Sunday morning. North City Baptist Church, North City, Illinois. I'm sitting on the second row on the right-hand side. My dad is preaching. For the first time that I can remember, I got under conviction. You say, well, Tim, what's conviction? The best I can explain it is when, it's when God himself comes to you personally and begins to talk to you personally about big stuff like life and death and heaven and hell and eternity. And man, when conviction comes to you, especially like if you're in a church service like this and conviction comes, you're, you're probably the most miserable person in the building. You would like for the preacher just to shut up. No more singing. Somebody get me out of here. 
But if conviction was to come to you today while I'm speaking to you, you know what you ought to do? You ought to thank God for it. You know what that means? It means God loves you. It means this one true and holy God wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants, he wants to come and live in your life. Listen to this. He wants you to spend all of eternity with him in this beautiful place called heaven. And that Sunday morning in January in North City Baptist Church, that Sunday morning, conviction came to me. And man, it was bad. Matter of fact, when the invitation started, yeah, I was miserable. All I could see was hell. Somebody said, well, you shouldn't get saved just to stay out of hell. Maybe not, but that's not a bad reason to get saved. And I, I left my seat that morning. I knelt at that old-fashioned altar. My mom came and knelt beside me as a 10-year-old boy. I repented of my sins, received Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I got born into the family of God. And I'm here to tell you that is the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life. And hey, friend, if you've been saved, that is the greatest thing that has ever happened in your life. Now, I got to be up front. I got to tell you that if you've never been saved, then your life is incomplete. You may be the richest person in this room right now, but if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the most educated. You may be the smartest person in this building right now, but if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the most beautiful woman in this county, but if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the strongest man in this county, but if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete today. You need Jesus. I was so excited. I told family and friends what had happened in my life, but then when I became a teenager, something else happened. It never happened overnight, but gradually I began to put things before God, football, and basketball, baseball, track and field. These things soon became my God's. And my dad told me more than one time, Tim, there's nothing wrong with you playing ball unless you put it before God. I didn't want to listen to that. And little by little by little, putting these things before God in my life, I began to have problems. I began to rebel. I began to rebel at school. I rebelled against God. I rebelled against mom and dad. Out of five children, I was the only one that rebelled. And you say, well, Tim, what did your parents do when you rebelled? Well, they had never read any Dr. Spock's books on child psychology. He thought that if a child was frustrated, whatever took to get the frustration out, let him do it. If he wanted to pick up a rock and throw it through the window, if that would help him get his frustration out, let him throw the rock through the window. Well, my dad had other ways of getting that frustration out. We lived on a farm for a while, and behind the farmhouse, was a willow tree. Now, I don't know whether you know what willow trees are good for or not, but you don't get any fruit off of them. They're not even a good shade tree. The only thing they're good for is to get a switch off of. Now, the only praying I did in those days was for that tree to die, and it never did die. I'd have to go out and get my own switch sometimes. I'd be hurting before I got back because I knew what was about to happen, and they would always talk to us before they spanked us, and they'd They'd say something like this, Tim, this is going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it's going to hurt you. I, I thought, isn't that dumb? If you'll give me that switch, I'll show you it's going to hurt the worst. 
I said many times, even before I joined the Marines, that I served under the stars and the stripes. My dad furnished the stripes, and I saw the stars. They, <laughs> they believed in old-fashioned discipline, but many, many times I would slip out behind their back to do what I wanted to do. I attended a public school. Most of my friends were not saved. Most of their parents were not Christians. And I made up my mind as a teenager that I could live my own life. My junior year in high school, I set records in the long jump. Uh, and in the hurdles, winning ribbons and trophies, but all the time getting further and further away from God. You say, Tim, what did God do? God declares in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Five of my high school friends were killed in car wrecks. Every time I would see one of them in a, in a casket, I knew that it very easily could have been me. And God would speak to my heart, but I wouldn't listen. I kept running. I kept rebelling. I graduated from high school. I started college of the day, working nights. And in the meantime, my life became one disaster after the other. And I thought that it couldn't get any worse. But it wasn't long until I got fired from my job. I got kicked out of college. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, and again, my life full of confusion. Walking down the street in my hometown, McLeansboro, Illinois. I went by the post office and I noticed a sign. I, I had seen the sign on other occasions, but it never got my attention like it did that day. It was a picture of a young man in sharp-looking uniform, and at the top of the sign it said, The Marines are looking for a few good men. I was so full of myself, so egotistical. I went into the recruiter's office and told them, I found the one that y'all are looking for. <laughs> now, young people, to be real frank with you, I was tired of living at home. I wanted to change. I wanted something different. I was tired of being told what time to go to bed and what time to get out of bed and how to get my hair cut, what I could do and could not do. So I joined the United States Marine Corps. It wasn't the most intelligent thing I ever did. <laughs> they put me on a Greyhound bus, sent me to Paris Island, South Carolina. I got off that bus, stepped out of those yellow footprints. I met the guy they called drill instructor. I was there less than 24 hours when I decided I didn't like him and he didn't like me. But you know the real reason why I didn't like him? He was in authority. And I didn't like authority. I was rebellious toward all authority. But I was soon to discover that no matter where I would ever go in this life, there would always be authority with God being the supreme in all authority. I laid awake nights, many nights, between 305, thinking about my life. The shame and the disgrace that I brought to my dad's ministry, to my own family. My attitude began to change in boot camp. The Marines had some things to help it change. I graduated from boot camp with a meritorious promotion, private to private first class, to ITR, then to engineering school at Camp Lejeune, graduated with another meritorious promotion. And then I received my orders that I was to go to Vietnam. I had three weeks leave. I went home to Illinois and spent those three weeks with mom and dad on Sunday before I was to leave on Monday. I went to church with my parents, and in the service that day, I thought that I'd made things right with God. 
And on Monday, mom and dad drove me to St. Louis, and I got on that plane, and it no more got off the runway. And I told God that I couldn't do it. Those men were Marines. I was afraid they'd laugh at me. I was afraid they'd make fun of me. But the Vietnam was there for nine months. And I didn't go back to do a lot of the things that I'd done before, but friend, listen to me. If you're not for the Lord, then you're against him. For the believer, for the Christian in this room right now, there is no middle ground. You're either helping the cause of Christ or you're hurting the cause of Christ. I had opportunity after opportunity to live for God. My mom sent me a Bible, and on the inside of that Bible, she wrote these words, Tim, this Bible can keep you from sin, or sin can keep you from this Bible. I put it in the bottom of my footlocker. I had no prayer life. I had no testimony. There was a black Marine in my squad by the name of Lee Gore. Lee and I flew to Vietnam on the same plane. We were the best of friends. He was a Christian living for God. I was saved, but I was running from God. Many times I watched as he sat down the edge of his rack and read his Bible, openly witnessed and talked to other Marines about the Lord, and I knew this was the story. I knew this was the testimony that I was supposed to have, but I wouldn't do it. I kept running. 30 days left at Nam, my top sergeant offered me a desk job. A desk job was coveted. meant that I didn't have to go back out to the field to the bush anymore, and that was where the primary danger was. But for some reason, I told him I'd rather spend the rest of my time with my men, and I was told to take them on a minesweep. I had been on numerous minesweeps. The only thing particularly different about this one, Several of my men were new in Vietnam. Some of them only been in country for a few weeks, a couple just for a few days. I got my men together early that morning, March the 8th, 1971. I told them that day that I would walk point. Point man was the first man in the squad, 15, 20 meters, another Marine, 15, 20 meters, another Marine. We'd be staggered out of that kind of formation. Normally, I would have been in the back of the squad with the raiderman, the corpsman, and the lieutenant wouldn't try to be a hero or anything like that, simply showing my men how to walk point. Our job was to locate landmines, and rounds had not yet been detonated and to clear the area of those devices. We walked that morning without any trouble. We found a couple of rounds. We detonated them. We stopped at noon hour to eat. And while I was eating, my friend, Lee Gore, asked me if I wanted him to take over his point. He could have very easily have done it. He was as well-trained as I. But I told him that I would finish out the day. And then the next day, he could walk point. We picked up where we left off from. 45 minutes later, I stepped on a 60-pound mine. It blew me several feet into the air. It ripped both of my legs off of my body. I should have been killed instantly. It was a big enough mine to destroy a jeep. We had entered a major minefield. At the exact moment that I stepped on a mine, a South Korean Marine that was serving with us stepped on a mine, lost one of his legs. Our bulldozer driver set his blade down on a mine. Now there's noise and smoke and chaos and confusion. And I'm in extreme pain. I was only unconscious for just a little bit. I realized that I'd been hit. I didn't know how serious it was. Some of my men thought we were taking on small arms and 
all this confusion and chaos and all my pain, I looked up. My head was laying in the lap of that black Marine, Lee Gore. He wasn't cussing the president or the Vietnamese or the communists or no one else. But tears streaming down his face out loud praying and asking God to help me. I looked up that day and I prayed too. I wanted to live. Somebody said you've never lived till you've almost died. I know what that means. I prayed a simple prayer, something like, God, if you'll let me live, get back home to mom and dad. I'll do with my life what you want me to do. Well, I had made so many promises to God on so many other occasions, but I never meant it like a minute that day. They came with a medevac chopper, carried me to the hospital ship, the USS Sanctuary. Second day I was on that ship, two naval doctors gave up hope. Infection had set in, run a high degree temperature, so many complications, they didn't think I would make it. Dr. Robert Bailey was one of those two doctors. He and I were reunited in a surprise reunion years ago in Garland, Texas, and he told the congregation of about a thousand that night that because of the seriousness of my wounds and all the things that had gone wrong, that they didn't expect me to make it. But God had a plan for my life. I lay on the hospital ship for two weeks. They took me to the island of Guam. The naval hospital was spent the next two weeks unconscious most of that first four weeks. I weighed 187 pounds before I was hit, island of Guam. I weighed a little less than 80 pounds. During that first four-week period, mom and dad received visits from the Marines, the Red Cross, numerous telegrams, and from all that they had been told, they never expected to see me alive again. But God had a plan for my life. Years ago in Dayton, Ohio, Earl Lewis came to hear me. Earl was the fifth man back on the minesweep that day. He had only been in country for six weeks. He told Connie and I that it looked like someone had taken a five-gallon bucket of red paint and just poured it all over me. He said, not a one of my men thought that I would live. In that crusade in Dayton, Earl gave his heart to Jesus Christ and now is a faithful member of that church. Years ago, in Danville, Virginia, Ray Birchie came to hear me speak. Ray was a radio man on the minesweep that day. He told my family who was with me in Danville that when they put me on the medevac chopper to go to the hospital ship, that not a one of my men expected me to be alive by the time that we reached the ship. But God had a plan for my life. Ray came to hear me about a year and a half ago in Warren, Ohio. And in the second service of the invitation was given, he was the first out of the aisle. Came and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Ray Birchie is here with us today. Ray, would you stand and let the people meet you? Would you all say hello to Ray Birchie today? <laughs> Ray gave his heart to Christ. God had a plan for my life. And then... Uh, they brought me back to the States, to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, where I spent the next eight months, 13 major operations. When the doctors were through and all the surgeries were over, I had three inches remaining on my right leg, 11 inches on my left, but no other part of my body was hurt. Some would tell us today that it was nothing more than an accident, but I remind you, friend, that with God, there are no accidents. God was not asleep on March the 8th, 1971. You see, as a 10-year-old boy, I said yes to Jesus. But as a teenager, I decided that I could live my own life. And I made a choice, a deliberate choice to run 
And I ran and ran and ran until March the 8th, 1971, when the running was over. I went home to the hospital of my dad's church in southern Illinois. I went forward and publicly made things right. It was in that church that I met Connie. We fell in love with each other and were soon married. It wasn't long after we were married that God called me to preach. Friends and even some relatives tried to discourage me. They said it'd be so hard, so difficult in a wheelchair. But I said, if that's what God wants me to do, that's what I'll do. I pastored in southern Illinois for five years and now for the past 41 years as an evangelist. I've had the privilege to speak in every state with the exception of North Dakota, and I don't even think anybody even lives up there anymore. And <laughs> many, many foreign countries preaching God's word, I'm going to tell you now. Like I've said on so many occasions, the past 48 years of my life have been the happiest years of my life. You said, but Tim, you just told us you're in a wheelchair, your legs are gone, you told us about Allie. But today, the difference is that I'm in the will of God. And that, my friend, makes all the difference in the world. Here's how the book of Job says that. Listen to this. Happy is the man whom God correcteth. Wow. Tim, are you telling us that God would do something like that to a person? No. God doesn't necessarily do things to us. He does things for us because he loves us, because he cares for us, because we are his children you're saved today, but you're out of the will of God, then I plead with you. I beg you, don't leave the doors of this building until you make it right with God. And there may be several listening to my voice right now, and you've never been saved. Your life has never been changed by the power of God. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not talking about living a good, clean, moral life. I'm talking about being saved. I don't want anybody to move right now. I'm getting ready to say the most important words I will have said here today. I don't want anybody to miss it. Then you've listened so good this morning, so carefully. But if you miss the next two minutes, then you're going to miss the most important words. Here it is. A little over 2,000 years ago. God sent his only son to this earth. God didn't have 20 sons. God didn't have two sons. God had one begotten son, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth born of a virgin. He lived here on this earth for nearly 33 sinless, spotless years. He did no wrong. The only person to ever live a perfect life was Jesus. And then one day, he walked up Calvary's hill, willingly, laid down his life for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the whole world. He hung on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, and on that cross, he shed his blood. And on that cross, he died. God's only son, died. They took him off of that cross and they carried him and they put him in a borrowed tomb. 
Ladies and gentlemen and young people right here, among other things, is what separates Christianity from all of the religions on the face of the earth. For if you were to go to the place where they put the body of Jesus, you wouldn't find him. He's not there. On the third day, he got up from the grave victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over hell. And today, God's son is alive. That is the good news. Here's the great news. He wants to come and live in your life. You say, well, Tim, how does that happen? How does God's Son come and live in my life? You come to this place. Now, we're not talking about this geographical location, this building. We're talking about this moment. In your life, this time and place right now in your life, to understand that in the sight of this holy God that you're a sinner, the Bible says so. The Bible says we've all sinned. Every single last one of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. I'm a sinner. Pastor Allen's a sinner. Every one of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. And listen to this. It's our sin that separates us from this holy God. It's our sin that keeps us from having a right relationship with God. And it is our sin that will separate us from God for all eternity in a horrible place called hell. Except for the fact a price was paid for our sin. God's only son paid the price for our sins when he gave his life on that old rugged cross. And today, if you're willing to repent of your sin, if you're willing to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, the very moment that you by faith say yes to Jesus, remember, what are you saying yes to? You're saying yes to the cross. You're saying yes to the blood that was shed. You're saying yes to the death that was died on that old rugged cross. And then you're saying yes to that empty tomb. That when three days later Jesus got up from that grave, he did it for you. And today, when you by faith say yes, listen to this, you become God's child forever. Wow. Wouldn't you like to know that when you die, that you would spend all of eternity with God forever and ever? He said, well, Tim, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon, and I don't imagine any of us are planning it. But I tell people all the time, you don't have to go to heaven. And you don't have to go to hell. But you can't stay here. You're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. It depends upon what you do with Jesus. Today could be the greatest day of your entire life if you do what God wants you to do. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. 
If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church slash give. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.